please, could you like us and maybe follow us on, I don't know. Wait, wait, wait. wait. You're asking people to stalk us? Well, no, I, I want them to. I want them to subscribe and or follow us on, like you know, Sounds YouTube, like stalking. Anchor oh. FM, Spotify, and Amazon oh. Music. And I want you to tell your friends. Please tell your friends to like us. <laughs> yes, because we need. <laughs> I need to be liked. Yes, he does. He's very fragile. <laughs> <laughs> this is true, really news with Scott Combs and Tony Vercanis. All the news you're about to hear is true. As far as you know. <sighs> you're up. So, yeah, I know. We speak often of how technology takes jobs away and creates new ones, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So someone went back and dug up some old jobs that have already been removed because of modern technology that we would pretty much consider. Eh? That's what? Okay. Okay. Right? Eight of them. Number one. All right. Before smartphones and PDAs, how did we remember things? In ancient Greece and Rome, nomenclators. Really? They were slaves. Their entire job was to remember names and merits of the people their masters met. So they'd whisper in the ear like they whisper in the queen's ear. This guy's an idiot. He's on television. Just ignore him. Exactly. That kind of thing. Yeah. He's uh, a... When you, get the, when you get that, nah, you know you're not talking to the queen for more than a second. Um, business partners, political donors, friends of friends, any other people that might be socially important in Greece or Rome, yeah. your nomenclature would remember them for you and whisper polite nothings in your ear when you needed it. Um, there are still nomen. Well, actually, it's not nomen. There are still nomenclators today. Really? Yeah. They and I thought it was just a dandy word for how you, you know, that's nomenclature words. Yeah. Right. That's what they do. Nomenclators come up with new terms for dictionaries and specialist glossaries. Oh, there you go. That's the easiest one. The rest of these. Give I'm a Roman one. nomenclator. Better than being a Greek nomenclator, I suppose. Well, you know, I hard to tell. Number two job was the knocker upper. No, no, do not go there. How dare you do that to me? A knocker upper is basically a human alarm clock. Uh -huh. So make sure you didn't sleep in. And obviously, you had to be reasonably well-to-do. Mm -hmm. Pay this person to show up at your house whenever you needed to be up, bang on your bedroom window until you woke up. But how did the knocker-uppers wake up for their job? Mm -hmm. I mean, was there an endless loop of knocker-uppers going around? Well, no, you'd get 100% employment at some you point. Know, some poor gun, son of a gun slept like the guys that do the 5 o'clock news. They're in bed by 3. And <laughs> No, according to author Richard Jones, knocker-uppers, that just sounds so bad, were often older people who were night owls by nature. If they're going to be up at night anyway, they might as well make a little extra cash on the side. The profession survived in the UK in rural areas. Mm-hmm. Until the 1970s. You know, that's got to be where the term I'll ring you 1970s. up. 1970s. Uh, the... Not the 18. The <clears> 1970s. <throat> but that... They you know, don't have wind-up clocks? What? The leisure class, really? <laughs> no, these were the rural areas. The I farmers go... in the lake. Oh, wow. The I have to go... for a living. Can you imagine telling your mother, I have to go knock a farmer up? Can you imagine? That's my son, the knocker-upper. Well... My son played or worse yet, what and if I had to your... tell everybody my son was a hooker. What? Yeah, that'd be as bad as having a daughter who's a knocker-upper. Yeah, he did. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to phrase this one, so I'm just going to tell you, if you have small children, you don't want them hearing this part, I'll give you a moment. 
The number three job that has gone now is the Pharaoh's blower. Yeah, that's not the whole word. That's not. Yeah, I word. can't. I'm not putting anus in there. That just sounds bad. <laughs> I understand you have a hard time. Basically, he was like the Pharaoh's primitive proctologist. If there are any problems there south of the border, the anus blower would take care of it. No, hang on. Should, however, the king eat more than he can digest and get all, you know, stuffed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the anus blower with the help <laughs> of a long tube and hot water became basically the, yeah. Mm-hmm. At least there was that tube thing, so that helps. Oh, the number four, stop it, just stop it. This is not a sophomore locker room. It is too. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Number four is the resurrectionist. His job did not include bringing people back to life. You know, you keep disappointing me. I don't know how long. Oh, I'm gonna wait for this. A resurrectionist would dig up freshly buried corpses and sell them to people practicing this newfangled <clears throat> medical science. Resurrectionists were common in 18th and 19th century England. The common people understandably didn't care much for them, though. They were pretty much just glorified grave robbers. How okay. did they get the pretty title? They probably gave it to themselves. I would guess. <laughs> they were early Actually, spin machines. I'm thinking the medical scientists helped them with that. <laughs> uh, the profession became such a nuisance that the English government not eventually allowed doctors free access to corpses, but only, only if the bodies came, only if the bodies were of poor people who died in workhouse accidents. We refer to that in the baby steps. Mm-hmm. The number five job you just don't see hanging around anymore is the funeral clown. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I've seen a couple of clowns at some funerals. You know, well, the first thing I saw this morning when I opened up Facebook was a picture of Bozo the Clown interviewing Barnabas Collins on TV in 1968. <laughs> and then I run across the funeral clown because apparently fourth century Romans thought that funerals were just a bit too somber. Huh? Imagine the guys who came up with crucifixion as a way of punishing people. Yeah. It now makes somehow felt that funerals were somber. Harley Quinn and the Joker now make more sense to me. Mm. The clown. Oh, the Harlequin would wear a mask of the dead person's face. And cavort about the funeral procession. I don't know that I want anyone cavorting about my funeral procession. I'm just he'd mock the recently deceased, which is always funny. Well, you know, I have that required at my funeral. Well, yeah, but you. Normal people, I, it would be referred to in the nomenclature of today as too soon. Yeah, well, I mine mean, you're starts burying the Scott person, for heaven's idiot. sakes. <laughs> the goal was to appease the departed spirit and to cheer up the living mourners. wonder how that worked. Let I can't imagine spirit. it working. I can't see and can <laughs> haunt me for the rest of my days. <laughs> Funeral clowns have made something of a comeback. You can once more, yes. Once more, you can hire a clown to ridicule your dearly departed relatives and friends at their funeral. If you do, would you please invite me? Yes, I've got to see this. I won't even go to the... I just want to see the... the yeah. I Actually, I want the funeral clown at, at the final spot because my wife says uh, once she has the ashes and she's got the bagpiper Piping. in the bathtub, um, she's going to walk the, have the ashes marched in. And she's going to flush them down the toilet because it's my favorite seat in the house. <laughs> yeah. 
So if you're in a real clown, that's not funny. I can see that. Yeah, makes sense. Me too. Wife's a practical woman. I like this. The number six job we just don't see anymore. Necessary woman. A polite job, polite name for a job that's sort of no. See, right away you go to the gross parts. Who says that's gross? I kind of think women are necessary. Before we had indoor potties, we had chamber pots. Um, Somebody had to empty those rascals. Those poor girls. Necessary woman. Yeah. They did, however, have some pretty good benefits. You usually got to stay in the mansion or castle Mm -hmm. of the person you served, and the pay was competitive. I would love to sit in on a negotiation. (laughs) So let me get this straight. You want me to carry... Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh i'm just trying to opus would be at that interview going <laughs> <laughs> i would just like to at this moment thank god for flush toilets because yes we're not done yet number seven is the orgy planner yes we're back to ancient rome you know we can't sit the smiths near the johnsons they hate each other they loved they loved their funeral clowns Orgy. And they love their orgies. Oh, and while the get-togethers weren't actually as debauched as we would like to think. <sighs> well, then there goes a good fantasy. It'd be pretty hard to be as debauched as Hollywood has shown us. But hey, <laughs> who knows? Maybe they were overachievers. They were a big deal. They could last up to 12 hours with any party. Someone needs to plan it. So they had. Yeah, that's, what I, that's why there are many people. You can take time out, have a cocktail. Have a beer. Visit the vomitorium. Yep. Orgy planners were experts in making the necessary arrangements so that orgy goers could enjoy their decadent luxury to the fullest. They'd hired the entertainment, the musicians, the cooks, and the Ians. Oh. Hookers, yeah. Yeah. They'd plan the menu. They'd draft the seating arrangements. I would love to be there for that one. See, that's just it. I can hear them. (laughs) No, we can't put the gallons next to the Smiths. You know what happened last time. Holy Pete. They would also arrange any other accommodations for the guests. They were like a modern planning party planner, except, you know, woohoo. And the last but not least is groom of the stool, which I actually had heard of before. It's a fancy job for, um, well, you're an advisor to the king of England. Would be technically what you were, but mostly you just hung around his bathroom so that when he took a dump, you could entertain him. (laughs) A lot of these are rather scatological. (laughs) Now, while you're... (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) While you think this is a lousy, awful job, it was actually the most coveted job in the castle because you would get to chat with the king. You'd hear what he was thinking about. And you could also have, you had unfettered access, if you will, to his kingship, sir. You're the only person in the kingdom besides the queen that could catch him with his pants down. So by the end of the medieval period, the groom of the stool was a trusted advisor on economic and domestic policy. So basically, think of the, think of the UK's um, prime minister as the modern-day version of... <laughs> uh, yeah, I just... <laughs> they lost me at the orgy and the funeral clown and... Oh, you had, yeah, I was lost back in Egypt. You were with the Pharaoh, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I knew exactly. that would Just do like, it. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> Provincetown, Massachusetts lobsterman Michael Packard, known to his friends as Dean Snooskumer. Try that again. Just slower. Provincetown, Massachusetts lobsterman Michael Packard. Okay, Michael his, Packard. Yeah, known to his friends as Dean Snooskumer. Okay. Which is Swedish for you dirty lobster. <clears throat> 
never was work. Dies, does it <laughs> never no, going away? No, no. And if you don't know what that is, I think it's back. What episode forty something? You just have to listen to all of them. Yeah, it's uh, the lobster heist. I think while you're telling all your friends. <laughs> anyway, he was working. Uh, he was working the other day. He and his crewmate uh, took their boat off Herring Cove, where conditions were excellent. With visibility about 20 feet, he donned his scuba gear, jumped in the water, and that's when he felt this huge bump, and everything went dark. Okay, water was shallow. At first, Packard thought he'd been attacked by one of the great white sharks that swim in the area. And then I felt around a little bit, and I realized there were no teeth. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm in a whale's mouth, and he's trying to swallow me. Really? This is it. I'm going to die. No, Jonah, I know how this comes, how this works out. You're okay. It was a uh, humpback whale. And they basically feed by opening their mouths wide and, and gathering just in all the... Everything in front of them, yeah. They can handle. So, you know... Just he was this, in the wrong place. <laughs> at the right time. Just this Leviathan's luck, he got some sea gristle. And all of a sudden, <laughs> exactly. He went up no. to the surface, just erupted and started shaking his head. I got thrown in the air and landed in the water. I was free, and I just floated there. I couldn't believe I'm here to tell it. His only injury is a Pride. suspected dislocated knee. That's not bad. Considering you could have been, you know, whale poop. <laughs> and we're wow. back to that. Right away. Fine. You your turn. That lowest common denominator. Read your small story. businesses, of course, have had to be creative with the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, yeah. Let's look at the club. Pro Adult Entertainment in Toronto, Ontario. The Toronto Sun is reporting the shutdowns nearly destroyed the strip club. Oh, okay. Until its owner, Teresa Marciano, and her staff came up with another idea. She said, we couldn't operate as a restaurant, so the only thing we wanted to do was something outdoors. But you can't really do what they do, especially in Toronto in the winter. That would just I was going to say, there's going to be, be cruel. Lot. And you wouldn't have customers anyway. Most of our staff and managers love golf, so we try to marry both. You're evil. So they tried to basically meld golf and and their industry together. The new venture is called the new venture is called Stiff Shafts. (laughs) Turns the former club's parking lot into a driving range where golfers can aim their shots at caricatures of prominent politicians. Ooh, I like that part. I like (laughs) bartenders and wait staff return to provide food and drink to customers. The dancers will be your caddies. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Stiff chefs. So how do you, I was going, you know, don't go anywhere. Shortest club you use. Yeah. Stop it. In any case. um, So how do you get rid of hiccups? I never have them to begin with. You've never had the hiccups. First, you hold your breath and count to 10. Yeah. Um, then I call you and that scares me. <laughs> and they're usually gone. Science now has a definitive way to stop hiccups that worked in 92% of cases during trials. Yay. It's a straw. Kind of a letdown. It's called the forced inspiration suction and swallow tool. It's a straw. F-I-S-S-T. And it's patented as Hickaway. It's a fist. <laughs> yeah, it's a fist. Hit patented as Hickaway. It's a rigid L-shaped straw that has a mouthpiece at one end and an adjustable cap with a pressure valve at the other. 
The enhanced suction required to draw water up through the device requires the diaphragm to contract, activating the phrenic nerve, while the vagus nerve is activated to close the epiglottis while swallowing. So this stops the hiccups. Single hiccaways go for 14 or 15 bucks, and two packs go for 20 or 21. We'll get the two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking that the Pharaoh's blower would have... <laughs> if you could talk to that guy, you'd probably, probably have made good use of that, Rasmus. I can stop your hiccups right now. <laughs> this is True Really News. Send email to TITR at netradio.network.